Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. This podcast is brought to you by CSAC, an industry leader and innovator in music performance licensing. For over 80 years, CSAC has established strong relationships in the creative community by investing in the careers of its top-tier affiliated songwriters and film and TV composers. To learn more about CSAC and its affiliated relationships with songwriters and composers, visit csac.com forward slash origins to learn more. Again, visit csac.com forward slash origins. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's multi-Grammy winning, multi-multi-platinum selling songwriter producer didn't just define legendary artist careers, but literally brought sexy back. This CSAC Songwriter of the Year, of which he was crowned three times, has influenced pop music for almost 20 years, as evidenced in every vocal chop since Britney Spears' Gimme More. Steering the sound of some of the biggest records to start this century, this protege turned master has spanned multiple genres with classic names highlighted in his discography like Bjork, Nelly Furtado, and The Game. Even in the recession of the late 2000s, this writer's catalog sold over 100 million songs. From Virginia Beach, Virginia, this guy has a hit sound of his own, and the writer is Nate Danger Hills. Ew. Man, that was awesome. Yeah, well, you know. That was great. That's why I get paid the uh, average, <laughs> average bucks. I need, like, I need that walking into the studio. Yeah. That, like, just charged me. We, we need to have that bullseye. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and have the you know spotlights while you walk in. I'm making that. I'm going to send that to you. Oh, my God. That's awesome. You do that. I will I will do everything I can to post that to my <laughs> very few followers. Um, so let's start from the beginning, man. I mean, you know... Uh, 
I have so many questions, but uh, the first thing is, why is it that every good songwriter is from Virginia? What is it about Virginia? Everybody. So I've been trying to figure out how to bottle up some type of water from Virginia and sell it because that's the number one question is, what's in the water in Virginia? Um, I don't know, man. I think... But it's, it's, not just ran- it's not just good writers. I mean, it's... You know, it's Missy and Pharrell, but it's and it's Benny and it's Amar mm-hmm. and it's J Cash and it's yeah. there's so many. There's just the list right. of Virginia influencers and in music is insane. I can't say what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but I know that there's not a lot of opportunity. And there's not a lot of inspiration. Um, so we kind of have to go deep within to find something and out of boredom and, and lack of opportunity and places to go and things to do. We listen to a lot of music and there's a lot of, we listen, everything comes to Virginia. So we like in the middle, we're, we're in the the bottom of the, of the, of the North, but the top of the South. And we hear music from everywhere, from the West, Go-Go, House, New York, the South. We hear it from all over the place. So, we just take this gumbo and chop it up and make this refined thing and turn it into our, our own thing. It's crazy, man. But everything is, you know, I think a lot of these guys, like myself, Tim, Pharrell, we all have this super rhythmic thing with us, and I, I guess that would be the go-go feeling. Well, tell me about your childhood. How did you, you know, what what was it like growing up in Virginia Beach? And We were just talking about we're pretty much the same age, mm-hmm. grew up the same same era. So right. what's it like growing up in Virginia Beach in the 80s? Um, I feel like, uh, I mean, I was in a small neighborhood, very small neighborhood, Friendship Village. Um, shout out to anybody who hears that. <laughs> um, my father and my, my mom, they kept me in church and kept me out the street and uh, kept me in sports and just kept me busy. So my lifestyle growing up was just church, Basketball practice, home, school, you know, church, basketball practice practice or (laughs) football practice or baseball practice, whatever it was. And, uh, but my dad would would play gospel in the house, jazz in the house. Did he actually play it or he'd play records? No, he just would play records, just his favorites. But he would blast it all day long. Like we would be asleep and he would (laughs) crank it, like waking us up to music. So, um, did anybody else play music in the house? Actually, you know, play instruments. Yeah, instruments. My, I think all of my brothers and sisters have some sort of musical talent. Mm-hmm. My parents don't. My mom has a beautiful voice. Um, my dad can, you know, he'll hit you with a rap or something every now and then. Like he was just good at being creative on the spot, and you just helped me realize that. He like really on the fly would just bust out with a little rhyme or joke or something like really quick all the time so i guess that's where my quick you know thinking quick on the go creatively comes from um but all my brothers and sisters have some sort of musicality like my little sister sings um i have a brother who rap and he make tracks and he's very raw um he also was playing around with a little bit of bass and drum we all can hop on drums uh, I have three brothers, uh, 
even my sister can hop on drums and she play a little bit of keys. So I, I don't know where it came from. We was like a mini Jackson five. <laughs> did you guys actually play music together? We didn't play together really. Yeah. We were just singing the choir. You know, yeah. my at, dad's at church. Yeah, at my dad's church, it would be yeah. you know us playing the music and singing. Yeah. Um, when you say your your dad's church, was he a preacher? Yes. Yeah. He still is, and he has ministries. Uh, in Africa, in wow. El Salvador, I think, and at home in Virginia. And, um, yeah, I grew up in church. He started his own ministry, and then we started playing music for his church. Who, I mean, I mean drums is really your your first instrument, mm-hmm. right? Not mm-hmm. piano? Mm-hmm. But you play piano, too. Yeah. So was this just one of those things where you just would walk behind a drum kit and just, it literally just knew was just how to that. play? It was literally that. Like, That's so annoying, man. It was the guy. <laughs> no, man. That is so annoying. It was, it was it's a, so hard, hard to like fathom just looking at it. It seems so easy until you realize how not easy it I is. I was just so intrigued by the instrument and um, I had it in me. I just had to sit down and try it. But it was a guy in church who just looked like he hated excuse me like he hated playing like he just looked like he hated playing he was playing for his father's church yeah and i was just like if you don't want to play so bad just let me play like please and How i didn't know i point? was 12 <laughs> i was 12 and um you we would go hop on it after church when it's over until they kick us off and that would be my little five minutes of practice time to see if i can get it but i was literally just watching him and um then he didn't show up for church. He might have been sick. That was my, you know, that was my time. That was so I hopped on the set and I was playing in church for a few years and I really started getting good and a, and another musician came. He would show me things and take me to another drummer that I know very well and he would show me things and uh I started to develop as a drummer. And I swear like right when I was getting good and really feeling confident my dad started his own ministry and snatched me up off the drums and I had to play keys and I was just... Were you bummed about that? Bummed. Bummed. Why? Because I I was just... I really felt like I was becoming a drummer and things was locking in and clicking for me. Like, I remember my development. And um, I just loved drums. Like, my dad brought me a drum set. Couldn't afford it, but he found one for 100 bucks in a pawn shop put it in our apartment in the corner of the kitchen. We making all type of noise. The neighbors hate it. They stomping on the roof, like, you know, telling us to shut up. And <laughs> uh, that was the one good thing that he fed whatever my interests were. When did you start getting introduced to secular music to just, you know? When I was really young, I remember he would sneak a little bit in in the car. Like, it might be the radio, he would play something every now and then. Um, but then, you know, as we got older, he got deeper into the church. It just became primarily more gospel. Definitely, you know, no hip-hop. A little splash of R&B maybe every now and then or one of his old-time favorites or something. Um, but then, you know, you, you, you know, we don't have, we didn't have, what the kids have today with with sure, streaming services, iPads, phones, and we can't just sneak off and listen on our own. But however, we was able to get a tape or listen to the radio. I would listen to a lot of radio. Um, you know, obviously before they got home from work or whatever, 
and I would be recording and making my little mixtapes of my favorite stuff. And um, what were you listening to? I mean, everything. Like, is that? I mean, I guess at our age, we were talking about you're probably starting, and at twelve or something, so it's early '90s kind of thing. It's oh, like, it was Dr. Dre at that point. It yeah. was uh, Snoop. I remember jumping on the bed. When Snoop was <laughs> watching the dog, one of the videos of Snoop was on the handlebars coming down the street. Mm. I remember that clear. I just remember being swept by this sound from, you know, the West. But obviously, things on the East Coast, everything, Daz Effects, we would watch the videos. Um, when I say everything, I mean everything. Rock him, all yeah. the hip-hop chub rock. Up until I, I feel it, like you have sort of the the trifecta of things that make good producers that we've talked to so far. One is you're from Virginia. <laughs> One is that you're a drummer, mm-hmm. and the other thing is that uh, um, that you played in the church. Mm-hmm. Those three things seem to be uh, often a lot of really good drummers become really good producers. Yeah. Whatever it is that you guys do in Virginia, <laughs> and then whatever you learn in church, yeah. Um, who teaches you how to play piano, or did you just also look at a piano and you're like, "Oh, I hate that I have to do this," and you just picked it up? Well, this, or did you okay. actually have to practice? Okay, let me give you the piano story. So I had so drums was at twelve. Uh-huh. My dad brought my first keyboard at like nine, but I was like, you know, just playing with it, and instantly I was looking for a record button. Instantly, like, how do how do you record? Like, I I remember holding it and looking at it, like, how do you record this thing? It did have a record button, but you it just was, I don't even know what it recorded. You know what I mean? Um, Maybe so it'll I was, give you like ten seconds. Yeah, of recording. ten seconds of something. I don't even yeah. know, like a little beat that's already pre-programmed. Yeah. Right. Um, so the melody was in me. I I could find it, you know. I would go to a keyboard and just find it. Uh, then eventually, you know, playing playing songs that I heard on the radio, I would just start finding it. And yeah. this is what it sound like and put it together and uh, learn songs over and over again. So I developed my ability to play by learning songs for church that we had to sing. So I just play in my ear like, okay, let me retrace this chord. and this, Like I would hear every note and just chord by chord learn it play it over and over again and in the process of learning it i would stumble across things that wasn't in it a new voicing or whatever like oh they didn't do that but i hear this and so what i was playing in church was not traditional chord progression i was playing what i wanted to play like i would play what i wanted to play people like that I think or, so, man. Yeah. I think they were into it. You know, I would throw them off every now and then, like, but I'm like, the melody works. Don't worry about and it. And you're like winking, <laughs> winking at everybody. Like, you see, right, hear that? Right. Check that in for sure. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, who gets you into recording? When was the first time you went into a studio? Um, let me see. Uh, what, what? Okay, it's defined studio. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even, you know, I mean, I used a Tascam, right. four track. Thing okay. where you had to put, you know, whatever cassette and then you'd have to marry the tracks. And I mean, it was. Okay, my first recording experience where I kind of constructed something to record with was to, obviously the one radio, stereo with a you know, yeah. cassette with another one and you play one to the other one. So that's how I made my first track. I would play the beat in the speaker, 
When you play a beat, you literally play it was drums? A, it or was a, play? No, it was a pre-programmed beat. So I probably play, play the, I would play the pre-programmed beat, but it from also had drum sound. Yeah, yeah, from like, I don't even know where this thing come from. Sure. My dad had a little keyboard. I don't even know where it came from. But it had a, it had a dope kick and snare on it. I remember that. And I would just play my own rhythm to a pre-programmed track. Then I would record that to the tape, play that tape back, play my bass line or whatever, record those to another tape. Flip. So it was so much hiss. Sure. <laughs> By the time it's no, done, it's right, just... Right, it's like... <sighs> <sighs> exactly. You can't even hear nothing. <laughs> but I'm holding the tape in the air like I, I got a beat. Uh. Um, and then I... Uh, I worked at Burger King for a year to 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 save up for. Uh, How old were um, you at this point? I was sixteen, maybe seventeen. Yeah. And um, I wanted my own. I went in. The, I went in the Radio Shack, <laughs> and I seen a Casio keyboard that had six tracks that you can record. And I was like, "This is it. This is it." It was three hundred fifty bucks. Um, you know, my mom couldn't afford it then, so I was instantly I get a job like. I got to have this. So, okay, then I started making tracks. By this time, I was super influenced by Tim. Yeah. And just all I wanted to do was make Timbaland beats. And uh, fast forward from the six-track sequencer, I left a tape on one of my first managers who became my, one of my first managers. I left some beats on his voicemail, and he called me back and was like, yeah, come down to my studio in Virginia? In Virginia, yeah, yeah. How'd you get the guy's number? It was from another friend from school. Mm. He was like, you know, I met this guy who's starting a uh Did he manage some? Oh, yeah. He had he... a label, so he had artists. Yeah. So I was literally, my first experience during high school was producing tracks for multiple artists of different styles. So I haven't been doing anything that I haven't been doing since... 18 years old now. Yeah. So I was making music for an R&B group, a girl group. I was making solo music for a rapper. I was making music for a rap did you, group. Did you have access then to his studio? Did he ever give you that? It was his or? studio, yeah. yeah. It was his studio that had like cakewalk. When you first walked in there, but of course you, I'm sure, didn't even have to look up anything because that's how you learned no. how to play everything else. <laughs> but you walk into the studio, you know, first time anybody walks into a studio and you're a musician and you want to be a musician it mm -hmm. feels it feels like a church right, <laughs> it right, feels right. magical right you know who's showing you around are you just or are you just immediately turning on synths no. just like ah check this out and then he had a triton no he had a trinity keyboard you remember that Korg trinity this was the one that Rodney Jerkins killed so if you if you ever had a trinity you can listen, to, you can just go through the patches and you'll hear every Swiss beat record and, and <laughs> Destiny Child record that came out in the late 90s, 2000s. So instantly, I sat down on that thing and I just would play things and I instantly felt like, man, this sounds like it could be on the radio, like instantly. Uh. Um, just because of the sound quality. I think my ability was still raw and rough, but, you know... I'm going to jump forward, and then we're going to go back. But, sure. like, when I met Tim, one of the first things he was, this was when I was 20, the first time I met him. 
And he was like, yo, you don't need anything but sounds. Like, I have, of course, he started talking about he have all the best sounds in the world. You don't need anything but sounds. Like, you you got it. You just need the sounds. And um, so that reminds me of, you know, two or three years prior to where I hopped on this Trinity keyboard and instantly felt like the sound quality was so much better with what I was dealing with with a Casio, obviously, that it felt like my quality went up you know, immediately. But the guy who I sent the tape to was the guy who showed me around, like, yo, this is the track and this is how you use it. He wasn't necessarily a producer, but he just knew enough. He showed me Cakewalk. This is how you record. This What's is his you... name? His name is Tommy Eaton. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with him? I spoke to him not long ago. Yeah, yeah. He uh, worked for me for a little bit. And, um, yeah, you know, it, I, I felt like I had, a, had to give him a shot once I... Sure. Got a little further in my career. But um, he was the first guy who acknowledged the talent and helped try to cultivate it with his facility. You know, just gave me a, the, the open room and, and let me do my thing. Were you, um, you know, if you're 16, 17, 18 years old at this point, did you finish school? Yeah. <laughs> and then um, did you just work 90-hour weeks? Afterwards, did you try like what? What is the life after? You know, you get into the studio, you have use of all this equipment, you've got these artists coming in. You know, it's not. Were these artists getting released nationally? Were there any of them on majors, or is it's all regional stuff? It's all regional. You know, yeah. like did any of it end up becoming big even in D.C. or anything, or was just sort of cutting your teeth on just, this stuff? Just cutting my teeth. Just, I'm just happy to be in there collaborating with people. Collaborating with people. Um, I was always collaborating with a lot of people. Um, when you say collaborating, then, like, as on just, the beat or just on, on the song? Just, just on, on the song. Yeah. Not necessarily the beat. I would do the beat. Yeah. And we would just try to, you know, write to it, come up with raps and songs and whatever. Um, with a lot of different people all the time. So by the, even by the time I got to him, I was already with the homies in in school making songs. Can you sing? I can sing enough. Yeah, <laughs> I can yeah. sing enough to say no. This is how you need to do it. Are you a good lyricist? Not quite. Are I was. It would take me time. Yeah, like to sit down and and know what I want to say. But I um. My my process, I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but what I like to do is give everybody the space to write, right? So a lot of times I'm writing or working with a writer and a lyricist. Or maybe one may be stronger than, with melody than the other. And um, I might come up with some chords and they start doing their thing. As they get, I get them time to come up with what they want to come up with, but once they lay down some dummy melodies or whatever, then I can rearrange, no, this is what I feel like needs to happen. Or if they get stuck on a lyric, I say it this way instead of that way. Um, so I kind of conduct the flow of the entire song versus specifically working on lyric or specifically working on melody. Like I'm, I'm gonna do the music bit and, let the, and collaborate with the writers or artists to um, you know come up with the best song. Was there ever a song in that era, the pre-Tim era, that you were like, "This man, this is a 
This is huge. This is better than everything <laughs> I'm listening to on the. Was there ever a song, was there ever a song where you were this? You kind of outdid where you were at, you know, or were you always had ah, this isn't good enough? This isn't good enough. That's an interesting question. I I'm super critical even now. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, even back then I was still hard on myself. Why? But I just was something I was just trying to achieve that you know I was trying to match what I would hear on the radio or hear on albums or you know Tim was my biggest influence. I I just would not. I can't get around that. Um. So anything he would come up with, I would be trying to to beat in mm-hmm. some way or another. Um, stylistically with the track or with the song. and uh, But, yeah, of course I came away with some things that I thought was amazing. Um, but, it, you know, if I listen now, it's probably trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably uh, horrible. Um, you can send it to me. Let's, oh, uh, man. I'll be the judge of that. Okay. Um, okay, so how do you get the music to Tim? So I, um, I met, what's his name? With this, I was working with an R&B group in their house mm-hmm. and, you know, would still be making tracks on my own and I just rounded up a 30-track CD of beats. And uh, it was this one kid named S.O.B. <laughs> who I gave the... He was an artist, but he knew someone named Larry Live who was Tim's best friend. And through Larry Live, SOB through Larry, they got it to Tim. So he took it to Larry. Did you know that's where it was going? I or did it just not happened know. He just back. was like, you know, I know somebody who knows Tim. And uh. I just gave it to him like, okay, you know. I think at this point I have made a few runs to New York. Like I was very busy out of high school. Like as far as trying to get on and trying to make it in the, in the industry. Like I was moving around. Um, and, uh, so I gave him a CD. By then, I've already had a good amount of disappointment, so I didn't even, whatever. Gave him CD. CD got to Tim. Word get back to me. Tim wants to meet. I meet Tim at, <laughs> I meet Tim at a music symposium that was happening in Virginia. And, um, my first meeting with Tim. <laughs> That's my brother. I love Tim. Tim was so grumpy and was like, I don't know how this can even happen, but he was just like, you you, you hot. But in the most grumpiest way. <laughs> so I didn't know how to even take that. Yeah. And uh, he was just, you know, nodded at me like, yo, you dope. That was it. I went home. Um, I, I I understand. He was back in Virginia. I wouldn't want to be in Virginia either, you know, especially if I've been out and I've been doing my thing. I wouldn't want to be there. So I get it. So phone call later that night, I believe it was that night, um, Larry called me or Esso called me. One of them called me. He was like, yo, meet at Larry's house. Can you come to his house? Tim want to talk. So that's when I talked to Tim for like two hours the very first time. And he was just telling me, everything he had going on and potentially what I could bring to the table and come work with me in LA. And uh, I'm skipping some details, but 
by then I didn't have the first management. I had uh, uh, I was in another situation, and um, it didn't it didn't work out. That first meeting with Tim didn't work out, but um, that was my first conversation where he kind of acknowledged my talent and uh, for real, no grumpiness. He was you know had a better mood, and um, that was just an accomplishment because that's the guy I was like gunning for since I was. 15, 16 years old. Like, and you were only probably 19 yeah, at, at, this point, at that point. Yeah, 19, 20 at That's that point. That's so young. Yeah, it was... When I look back and look at the timeline, like, it was... It felt like forever. Sure. You know, but it was... All this stuff happened, like... Did you know anything about the business? Zero. Yeah. Nothing. Did Were you already called Danger at the time? At the time, yeah. When did you get that in that name, all right. I don't, should I give you the real story? Or yeah, the, <laughs> no, I want the real story. Because I, you know, I kind of you know, want the real story you know first, and then I want you to have to tell the story right. that you it's tell like, other people. Uh, you know, like the Joker, he gives, he tells a new story every yeah. time about his yeah. car. Yeah. That's how I do about my name. So, the real story, and I told this story recently. The real story is, um, my first name was Supernova. There was some kid who claimed that his name was that as well in Virginia. I don't even know how this got communicated to me, but I'm like, okay, well, that's your name. Okay, cool. <laughs> Let me find out something else, figure out something else. So I remember writing down just a bunch, just trying to come up with something else. I just wrote down a few different things. Um, and I love danger, and I put the hands together, but I really only did that because I wanted the syllables to sound like Timberland. Mm. So Danger Hands, Timberland. I just wanted the same yeah. feeling, you know what I mean? Um, then years later, I dropped the hands and just right. became, but that's the real stuff. I, I just wanted the feeling like... It's so crazy to want one specific human <laughs> on the entire planet <laughs> to pay attention. Yeah. This it's so crazy. I can't even believe it even now. Do um when you went home and told your siblings and your parents that you're going by Danger Hands, how much shit did they give you? Oh, you know, <laughs> or, were not, they, or did they just start saying, "Okay, Danger"? Yeah, yeah, they just kind of roll with it, yeah. you know. And then all my Danger brothers, Dinner. Right, <laughs> right, like, oh, right. Man, I don't, mom. Know, I don't think they, they they don't. You know what's funny is I call my mom sometimes and she'll answer me. She'll answer like danger. Uh, I'm like, come on, man. I don't even like to introduce myself Cats as danger. Bag, and, my, and my mom, right, is calling <laughs> me danger. But um, yeah, it's like later on, obviously with success, they just accepted what it was. And, 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is brought to you by CSAC, an industry leader and innovator in music performance licensing. For over 80 years, CSAC has established strong relationships in the entire community by investing in the careers of its top-tier affiliated songwriters, film, and TV composers. CSAC uses a selective and partnership approach with its affiliates, maintaining a small base, which enables them to deliver a high level of responsiveness and service. CSAC is also proud of its long history serving music users throughout the country and now represents over 1 million songs across all genres of music, as well as music from hit movies, television shows, and sporting events. CSAC is more than just a PRO and has expanded its business into additional rights categories and markets. They are also building a global licensing platform through a joint venture, Mint Digital Services. To learn more about CSAC and its relationships with affiliated songwriters and composers, visit csac.com forward slash origins. Um, how did you get connected to Teddy Riley? Um, how did that happen? Okay, so now... Because that's in between... That's before Tim. So that's it's like before, at the same kind of at the same time. Because that's a huge name too. To yeah. then just you know, people are obviously discovering what you're doing, mm-hmm. which means that you're also putting out a, an insane amount of output. Because again, if you're talking about that era, there isn't a way to just stream. There's not even LimeWire or, or Naps or any of that at that just, time. Like that means people are talking right. behind your back mm-hmm. about what you're doing musically, which is how music was heard for. Right. You know, the 150,000 exactly. years before the right. internet. So, you know, whatever right. you're doing is is clearly it's, going around. But you know, how, do you, how do you get to Teddy Riley? Um, okay, I was working with the R&B group in Virginia, a local group called Natural Blend. And we just formed a bond. I, I met Leon Silvers. That's how this happened. Leon Silvers, who was an artist and producer... Charlemagne in the seventies, and he's also a big, big guy. And uh, I was introduced to him through a friend of mine, who, um, again, another guy who's starting record labels and publishing companies and whatever in Virginia. He's a little bit more established than than the guy that I first met. And um, I just began to go around, and he would bring me into his studio and. You know, he would listen to my music and he thought it was interesting. And he had a relationship with Teddy. And um, I don't necessarily, he brought, I think I went with him, but I was really working with his group. And we was just doing a lot of records and became really close friends. And um, they were signed, they, they, through Leon, was signed to Teddy. And that's how I ended up in Teddy's studio. But I, I didn't, it wasn't a mentor thing. Yeah. It was just, I was just there. I was it just, was just, you guys were, Yeah, I was yeah. just in there and got the opportunity to see flashes of him work, um, hear things before they would come out, see a real studio for the first time. Um, you know, walk in the studio and see a big Michael Jackson dangerous plaque for 20 million. Stupid. You know, as soon as you walk in, so you just like, you know, where am I? And um, 
he heard some music. He, you know, he thought it was good. But it, again, it was like, I've been that guy where I'm so busy in the studio, I'm just overlooking whoever's around me yeah. in my own studio. And I, again, I understood that. So I wasn't there to work with him, but he still gave us a shot. So one of the guys in the group, he um, said, yo, produce this record for me. Take Michael Jackson, YY, and flip it or whatever. So that's how I ended up on the Backstreet project that came out then. I think it's Backstreet Level 2 or something like Blackstreet Level 2, I mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how that happened through Leon Silvers and the group, and they had a relationship with Teddy, and I ended up in Future Studios. So you meet Tim after that, and you have that conversation. What brings, you know, he says you should come to L.A. That's an easy thing to say. It's another thing to go from Virginia Beach at 19, 20 years old, 21 years old, whatever it is, and then actually make a move to L.A. Yeah. How does it go from a conversation to you moving to L.A.? It, so it was, it was a real thing. <laughs> and the guys I was working with at the time, I brought it, brought it to them. And they just wasn't willing to do any type of negotiation or business with him at that time. And that opportunity slipped through the cracks and I was devastated, of course. Like felt like all this, you know, this four or five years I've been working, which when you again when I look back, I was fresh out of high school. It was only two years out of high school. <laughs> yeah. Um but all of this time from mm. being inspired by this guy to meeting him and him inviting me into his his world of making music and it goes in the opposite direction. You know, I was like, this this is okay, this is the end. So I felt like my, t so we ended up meeting again two years later, but that two years felt like 10 years. And I didn't expect to meet him again, but um, it kind of happened through the same guys. He, they called me up like, yo, uh, Tim is working on a project. Can you do something that sounds like them? And we'll take it to Tim. And so I was just like, you know, got the spark back again. I went back in the studio and started cooking up things that I felt like. I mean, there were things that he was already doing, but, you know, my own way. By then, my musicality had developed to a whole nother level. And um, I took it to him <laughs> and played it for him on his tour bus. And this summer, the same summer that I played it for him on his tour bus was a very interesting summer because I met a lot of people that summer. So I played it for him on his tour bus in Virginia. He happened to be in Virginia. And I remember he played the tracks and he literally skipped through the tracks. He didn't even listen to them like three seconds. He listened to three seconds. And it wasn't a bad skip. It was just like he heard enough in that three to five seconds to know where the track was going to be excited enough to go to the next. He was just like, it's crazy. Like, that's crazy. Like, I'm just like, you know, I didn't even let the beat drop. Like, let it drop. Mm -hmm. And um, he was just like, you know, it kind of brought that spark back for him, I guess, to know that, okay, he didn't fall off or it wasn't a fluke. And um, that was it. I didn't hear anything from him for about for the rest of that summer. And then I got a call back from him in, uh, like, December to work with him in, in Miami. And that was, like, the did, start of it. 
did you have a cell phone at the time? Yeah, I guess yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we would have just gotten yeah, cell right. phones. I just was really carrying so, a cell phone. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, right. just like getting a cell phone, right. you get a phone right. call, exactly. and it's some random number from, right. he was in Miami at the time? He was in Miami. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or moving from Miami, maybe back But you get this Ellen. call, you didn't probably didn't even know who it was no, from. I didn't know. Or they, I think somebody hit me like, yo, Tim, gonna call you. Yeah. How fast can I get to wherever you are? Um, What was the first thing, you know, when you walk in the studio and he's there and it's like, okay, this is our chance to work together. One, how nervous were you? Or were you just like, I'm not nervous, I'm just ready to play? Yeah, I was just ready, man. I wasn't wasn't nervous. Um, I was just ready to work. It it was some nerve. Let me not lie. It was some nerve, but... It was just it's like exciting, nervous. It was though. exciting, it's not, right? Because it, it was just like, to, yeah, yeah, it wasn't like I hope I don't blow it. I was just like, all right, this is it, and and uh, we actually about to collaborate on a track. And he had his studio on the bus, and I went on the bus. He played some beats, and I played some stuff, and put some stuff together, and uh, that's how we started it. Um, he was working on a, a artist. He had a new artist named John Doe. And um, he was a rapper. So that was kind of the first thing we dove in to create for. And uh, we did a lot of stuff together for his project. So I like chemistry. Obviously, it developed and turned into what it had turned into. But instantly, it was already like, you know, I felt like he was all, we was already talking the same language for years. We just didn't know. Yeah. And when we got together, we just, I feel like we just understood each other. I think I was giving him an original musician um musicians take and a freshness with his beats and it just went from there so it was it helped it allowed me to i didn't have to worry about drums and different things went with him and he didn't have to worry about melody we just held each other down in that way yeah so nuts um you know you start getting cuts around this time that start really reacting in some capacity before the Justin Timberlake stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's a, it's a lot of cuts, a lot of songs out there. But it's really, I feel like even the Lloyd Banks stuff on the side, or whatever. But it's the game record to me that's sort of the first really big. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really the the album that defines the game. Would be you know, sort of changes what rap is at that time. Um, I feel like that might be, and I, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but this is sort of the first song that, the first kind of album that you can, people at home must know about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a different level. It's not even that everyone at home knows who, well, maybe everyone in your home knows who Timbaland is right. because of the connection, but that just feels like a different level. Yeah. Um, how How did it feel for you to go from, Aspiring, 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 and then you know it's like the becomes like the biggest rapper of that year. I mean, I don't know. It, it's, it's like being in that moment with him during that time. We were just locked in the hit factory, and we was just working on whatever he had come that came through. So, with the Lloyd Banks success and a couple other things we worked on. I think by that time I might have we might have did something with Justin, not for his album, but for the like a movie or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was just like you know another day. Yeah. And uh, but what was exciting about it was that obviously it's coming from Dr. Dre, which all of us, <laughs> yeah, everybody is like, 
you know, we got a we got a, a message to send. So Tim, the way that thing came about is is Tim was like, he would tell me, yo, we got this tonight. Da, 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 da. And I would start creating like right then. So I was creating in the house. I did like three tracks. Went to the studio and played the tracks and you know, he had heard something. You know he liked something because his eyes would bulk up and he just was like, okay. So he had went on the tour bus and he came back in the bus with that that damn thing. And, you know, we add, that's when we added together and did things together. But the bones of it, he came back off that bus into the studio with that thing. And it was crazy. And, uh... The game came in and killed it. And we, they, I guess he sent it to Dre. And that's when we know we, you know, once we got the approval over there. So now, now you're, you're still in your twenties. Yeah, and you're I'm like, still. I'm, I'm working with Tim. The, you know, right. Dre's, Dre's likes your work. It's just crazy. Yeah. And then you have obviously Black Eyed Peas and Genuine and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even that Black Eyed Peas album. Mm-hmm. Stupid. It, my style. But it's you know the there's a, the level of success where you're working on hit albums, and then there's the one where you have a string of actual hits, and mm-hmm. that's really the Justin Timberlake stuff, obviously, mm-hmm. you know. And "Sexy Back" is the song that really defines sort of, in a way, you know, it just it's a new era for Tim because of the connection you guys are making. Right. Um, how did it feel, one, to start hearing your songs everywhere? <laughs> that I mean, was, everywhere. You yeah. still hear them. That era, is, you're just hearing them everywhere. Right, right. It was... Uh, there's now there's now going to be a, a, a three or four year period where you can't go anywhere without hearing a song right. of yours. Yeah. And you're having coffee, you're going to hear it. Breakfast, you're going to hear it. Anywhere I you mean, go. I mean, it's so funny. Like, we was in New York working like, a couple weeks ago. And every time I walked into the gym, like on my birthday, my birthday was the 22nd. We in the gym. I walk in the gym. Sexy back comes on. So I'm in there just flinging the towel. You know, it's my birthday. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy. It's just yeah. we're working with Just. We were working with Justin. So it was just like I've came a long way. You know, that was just a reminder how, you know, I'm full circle back in the studio with this guy right now. I'm in the gym. They playing a song we did. Who knows how many years ago at this point. But um, that time, like, it was like, the first thing off the boat was promiscuous. And, no, I think Maneater was out before promiscuous. So Maneater was out, and it was doing well overseas. Oh, that's all the same year. That's all the same time, yeah. Oh, man. And then, uh, and then <laughs> promiscuous came. And Promiscuous was a, you know, was a hit or hitting. Then Sexy Back came. And yeah, by then I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I had no idea what was happening. Tim knew. Obviously, he had massive hit records. He didn't have any of that caliber, but he he's had he know what having back to back records feel like and things like that. But now we're doing it in a pop space. And um, I didn't I didn't understand. Like, I didn't understand. I was just kind of riding the momentum and just kept my head down, really working. Like, I didn't really think about, I didn't get caught up in, I got number one record, I'm the man, and whatever. 
I was just like, well, how can I secure the next one? Were you, were you able to enjoy any of it, or were you just constantly I feel like I did, yeah. yeah. I feel like I enjoyed the whole the whole ride. But, you know, you know a lot of work and a lot of opportunity comes with that. So, for me... Yeah, the opportunity is the part yeah, that really changes everything. Because right. you're like, well, now this door is open. I got to go in the studio here. Uh, uh, I got to exactly. go there. And it's so, really, I yeah. felt more of a pressure to deliver than actually, you know, enjoying... The success of the records and it's a guy in his twenties getting. <laughs> it's like twenty. You're barely like, developed as right. a human, you know. Twenty five, maybe at the time. Twenty four, twenty five. By the time this stuff started hitting, it takes so long to get paid as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Little, you get upfront at least for a producer. Right. And if Tim's getting paid as a producer, mm-hmm. then that money's coming way before. Right. You know, this had to be the first time you're seeing any sort of money oh, that's yeah. like this. Yeah, this was before then. I did my publishing deal, but I don't think any of us knew before we did. We did it a year. We did it at the same time that we was working on these things. So I probably got a little bit better deal than a new songwriter, and my deal was at Warner. Um, but we had no idea what was coming, right? So obviously, knowing what I know now. If I could have borrowed $50,000 from somebody to hold me down, like I would have never did a co-pub deal. But um, these things came. So I had a little I had a little cushion by the time the stuff started hitting. So yeah. but when it once it hit, like, you know, from from productions, I was making a lot of money just from advances on productions. Yeah, it's a diff- that's an era where yeah. people are are when all of us top liners right. would get these, these, you know, phone calls. Of, we got a hit. We just need a top line. Right, you're right. like, well, you mean like you need a song? Yeah, you're you're sending me, but people like you would send these beats to everyone's like, this is a smash. Mm-hmm. You're like, There's nothing on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's insane. Yeah. You know, so they were willing to pay you guys like because you guys had. Yeah. You guys were giving hits, but there was no, was not even a song. They were right. paying you like right. this. The hit was already going to, it was, was inevitable. Done. Right, right. So from just production, that was also still cool. But then once, you know, obviously it takes, you know, six, nine months, maybe a little more for you to see your residuals when things are out. And, you know, obviously when that came in, you see, <laughs> like, okay, this is what we did. Like okay, I, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know that any of this was coming from that. But okay, now I understand. What did your family feel about that? Because there's a difference in in being able to hear a song, and then there's this moment when people realize the value of these songs that are not you. You know, where mm-hmm. they're. Um, did that change any of your relationships? With anybody, for better or for worse, you know, seeing no. some seeing someone be so successful, you were at the very top of an industry. So I just imagine people are pulling at you, not even if they're your family, just randoms. Nah, Every- man, I don't. Nah, I, my family was cool, and um, of course they would ask for different things, and you know, but other than that, they were excited. You know, they were they were happy for me and proud, and and still. And still very proud, and I don't even know they. I don't even know if they noticed the whole full scope of what I've been, what I've been through. Mm-hmm. I would have to really sit and tell them, like, 
this is how my life went since you first heard this song. And um, hopefully I get the opportunity to, to really... You're saying right now? I'm saying right, I'm saying right now, they, I don't even think they really understand. What would you tell them? I would just go start from the beginning and, and just say, look, this is, this is how the music business worked for me. And when those records came out, this is how my life changed. And these are the things, the conversations I had, the places I've been, the people I've worked with. They see the the things that come out and they, you know, they don't ask me too much. They just kind of take it as it goes. I think that's always been how it was since the beginning. I would be off trying to meet someone or get on or, or, or do what I had to do. But they never really asked questions, I think. One thing I feel blessed about is my parents uh, had a trust in me to know that I wasn't going to just be out there wherever I am, you know, jacking up my opportunity or, or harming myself or being unhealthy or into drugs or, you know what I'm saying? They just trusted me as a as a, as an adult. I feel like I had that. I gained that trust from being an independent teenager. And um, they just let me do my thing and I just come back home and, Maybe tell them if they ask. I'm like a, I don't volunteer information. But if you ask me, I would tell you anything you want to know. Um, but we just kept it really, which I can appreciate to some degree. It wasn't, they didn't ask me too many questions. They might say, what do you got? What are you working on now? And it would probably be, it'll stop sure. there. But I'm glad that I didn't get the, I didn't have all these deep dive conversations in the business and questions when I go home, mm. because that's the last place I want to deal with that. Um, so yeah, I think at this point I probably owe them a conversation of like, look, I don't know if y'all really know who I am. I know y'all know I'm y'all your son, but this is what I've done. Break it down. They probably love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you have any? Life outside of music? Such as? I don't know. You're in your 20s and you have <laughs> the biggest songs in the world. I mean... I, I You know, I think in, in my 20s, I wanted to have the biggest songs in the world. I did not have the biggest songs in the world. Mm -hmm. That took me many years after that. So it's like at that... You know, and and it's easy to glorify it, but I always think, oh man, if I would have had that success in my twenties, for sure I would have just been an idiot. About oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I say that all the time that anybody. And you're in Miami. Yeah, and anybody like, who had my uh, success and access would have blown the whole thing. But again, I was so dead set on development personally, from as a producer, and. Um, I didn't bury, I mean, I worked a lot, but I, yes, I would go out to the strip club. I would go out to a club. I would go to dinner. I would have little vacations here and there, and, you know, but I kept myself out of trouble primarily. Um, I mean, I'm single. I'm not married. I don't have any children. One day, when I feel it's right, but, you know, I'm... I don't know. You know hey, man, I mean? you're young. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you start... One of the coolest things about... Uh, your discography is that you never you never seem to get pigeonholed or you never chose to you weren't like I I do you know I do rap beats I do pop I do whatever I mean you have Bjork and Simple this next year Bjork <laughs> and then Simple Plan and then Duran Duran right. <laughs> you know you have 50 Cent you have Cascade 
This is all in the next year. Danity Kane, obviously. Mm. You know, it's it's all over the place. Is to you, do you view that you change what you do depending on who's in the room, or are you always yourself? I think myself is being is versatility. I think that is who I am. Um, going back to to uh, what I was saying when I was working with a lot of different artists at a young age, that helped me to become this guy who can stretch into anything. Even though it's primarily R&B and hip-hop, it was still different styles of R&B and different styles of hip-hop. So I was, even then, just very versatile. But, yeah, I kind of... I do change it a little bit depending on who I'm working with or what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. I'm not the guy who's trying to put my identity on your music. I'm an artist producer. I don't... I'm looking at the artist and whatever they... The picture they want to paint and the story they want to tell, I'm going to help them develop that picture. Like, okay, this is... I think I understand what you want to do. How does this work? And uh, And that's pretty much it. Like, I don't... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna work with <laughs> Celine. D, uh, I'm Celine or, or uh, Adele and put her on promiscuous. Right. Like I'm. Right. You're gonna write the right. Yeah, I'm gonna write the right record. It might have some edge and some style, but it's gonna feel right for her. It's not gonna feel like why is she on that. You know, I've heard that before. But one one of the things, and I mentioned it in the beginning, was you know the. Blackout, that album for Britney was uh, was totally revolutionary for certainly for her, but it was a big change from where you know the late '90s pop went for some of those those people. But it was the appropriate kind of music for her that mm-hmm. kind of reflected what Tim Justin was doing, right. you know. And to do "Give Me More" on that, I was saying that every time you hear a vocal chop. It always feels like that's like the first like big hit right. that feels like it had mm-hmm. a vocal chop. Where did you get that from? Or was, was it just started you're just playing around and just I mean we were playing around, but those are things the the way we would edit and chop the beats, we we was doing that for years already. Yeah. So we would be in the studio chopping up vocals and chopping up beats before that. So it was just uh I that's why I after Gave Me More, you probably never heard, really heard me do it again because I think that was, like, it for me. It got so big yeah, that it Yeah, was... it was like, there's no need to do that style of production again as far as chopping and editing. Um, as you keep going, you obviously start working with, I mean, you've worked with Mariah and Madonna, and I think there aren't, there's, like, six people maybe on the planet you didn't work with during this time. <laughs> Snoop and Missy and Busta and M.I.A. and just... Whitney, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, when you weren't working with Tim during this, did you did you guys get used to working together so much in the studio that you st- depended on each other, or was it nice when you guys produced separate from each other? Um, so the last project we did together was uh, uh, up until Say Something with Justin and... and Man of the Woods was Madonna. And um we did four minutes and we did a few other records on that together. Um I don't think we depended on each other at all. And I, I still feel like 
we we can jump back in at any moment and just lock back in. Like mm-hmm. that's just something we develop. Um, but no, nah, I don't feel like at all we missed anything because my my style is my style. Yeah, his is his, and when we come together, that's when it becomes. You know, Voltron is formed, and that's what that becomes. But uniquely uh, and individually, we we have our own totally own thing. Um, just shout out to Knock You Down is just an amazing record. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it's, there aren't that many songs that you just wish you wrote. That's just like that's <laughs> such a good record. Um, how does a writer not burn out? With the amount of material you're creating that it at any time, but how do you not burn out? Did you ever burn out? No, I don't think I burnt out, but I, I think I lost perspective on what I wanted to create. I definitely went through that. Like um I would say so there was a time period where my studio was being built in Florida. And that's that would probably be like my most quiet years because it just got to a point with the business that they wasn't trying to be paying booking studio and all these other things that I might have been used to up until that point. So it just came down to like, let me just build my own thing. And uh, during that time period, I was searching like, you know, a lot of things that I felt like I kind of predicted how music was going to go and I would try to be on the on that curve. And uh, either I was too far ahead and it didn't work and, or a tad bit too late. So I just went through a period, maybe two two years of just trying to figure out sonically what I wanted. I was in between. It was a lot of things. Like I was just in between how I wanted things to sound and, and what felt good to me. And even creatively, like music hit a weird place. Like it wasn't this synthesized, super electric thing, um, which wasn't the only thing that I did, but that changed. Um it was just a lot of development, a lot of a lot of changes in music in totality. So it just took me a minute to let me figure out what I want to do. That because I'm always thinking to break ground, like what is going to change something and move and push the needle. What would push the needle now? Uh, when there's so much music out there, what what do you think pushes the needle in 2020? You know what? I think my approach now, more than anything, is having a great song. That's what pushes the needle. If the the song has to be outstanding and the music bed is whatever, but if the song is a is amazing, the song is just a vehicle for whatever sound you create. So we can mix and match and put all types of things together. And if the top line isn't right, it doesn't matter. So it can be a great top line on the stupidest, silliest beat. Still it'd be, you know, yeah. it come down to that. Come down to what people are singing along to. So I've switched my focus. My focus has gone more to trying to construct the best song possible. And, you know, it's difficult for me because I'm not necessarily a, a lyricist. So to to be able to stick with um songwriters and collaborators that I feel like are delivering what I feel like is a great song all the time is is tough. Who, who are those people? Uh, I'm still discovering those people. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of people that I that I 
work with that I continue to. It's it's a lot of new people all the time. It's like I feel like every time I come to L.A. or I go to Nashville, I'm working with a different group of people, and I'm like Nashville was awesome because their whole thing is, is surrounded by just making a good song. Like I go in and play some chords. They're gonna write a song, go home at the end of the day, a full song that that's pretty strong lyrically and melodically. Yeah, it means something. Yeah. yeah. And then I can go home and do whatever production I wanna do, which is yes, it matters, but it not so much because the song is great. And I, I have good enough taste to not mess up a good song with some eclectic production. Yeah. The you know, it's I mean, this would take us another six interviews to go through all of the songs but having worked with royalty like Beyonce and Jay-Z on the DJ Khaled record mm -hmm. you know getting through I mean it's really just kind of everybody who who are some pop people that you or not even pop people who are some writers that you artists that you wish you would write with man I, I, I would love to work with Adele I had my Adele moment and I blew it but uh, Why? What happened? <laughs> you know what? She she came in the studio. It's it was nothing against her. She was she was beautiful. It was um when I was in London. This was like before twenty one. So I was in London, and we worked a day. We might have had two days scheduled. We worked. She came in with this insane thing, and. She kind of got on the mic and started singing it, and I was gonna try to produce around it, and it was, it wasn't finished, and uh, you know we went, I would say a normal studio day, and we were gonna you know call it quits, and uh, the next day got canceled, so I'm like maybe I messed up, I don't know, but I didn't think until later on maybe I messed up when I heard the song that we did in the studio. And that song happened to be Rolling in Deep. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was just like, I know that melody from somewhere. Because I remember how made, she sung it a cappella, so she already had yeah. it written. So I was going to try to produce around it. And she sung that thing, and I was blown back. And then, you know, months later, probably later that year, that same I hear that same melody come out, and I'm just like, God, that's that song we was doing in the studio. Like, that's my <laughs> song. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So I'm like, oh, my God, I blew my chance to probably have one of the biggest songs of that time. Like, So that was it. You know, I would love to I would love to work with her. Um, Beyonce, I still want my Beyonce shot. Like, even though, you know, those records were done through Khaled and yeah. I had, I've been in the studio with her on two different occasions and almost, almost made it. I forgot which album it was. It was the album that had uh, Who Runs the World, Girls, yeah. who with the Diplo joint. Um, almost made it on that one. Didn't didn't quite make it. And uh, There's it comes for down sure to people listening to this that know how to get you closer to Beyonce's I, I hope camp. so. Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Beyonce. We got to do it. We got to um, do it for real. Yeah, I mean, you end up with other Beyonce records because you have something that's last year with Lion King mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, so crazy. Just the fact that you get to keep working a lot with these artists throughout their career, the Justin Timberlakes, mm -hmm. and being able to have, a, being part of the whole arc of their right. career, it's 
it's sort of ninja level where it's you know it's one thing where you try to get a song on an album it's another thing when you have try to get an album in a career right. that's another thing when you try to get multiple albums in a career right. and be part of that it's really cool man mm-hmm. um into our next segment let's go for five for five i'm gonna name five people and just tell me the first thing that comes off the top of your head okay <laughs> let's start with justin timberlake genius we didn't talk about it but i know you did actually work on it let's go with the weekend the weekend, uh, the scissor record. Is that what it was? Is that the name of the song? Yeah, that? oh, that, that was a sample. That was a scissor record. Yes, they sampled. She's uh, so good. Yeah, I like the name she's amazing too. Yeah, um, let's go with Timbaland. Timbaland is the greatest creative mind in the last hundred years. Wow. We only we ain't even heard what he's capable of. If you go through that man's drive and listen to some of that weird stuff, you'd be like, "How?" <laughs> I thought I was weird, but he's, yeah, greatest creative mind in the last hundred years. One of the greatest. Let's go with Britney Spears. Hmm. There's so much I want to say. You can say more than that. There aren't really any rules to it, I, mean, I promise you. Oh, my God. I, first of all, I mean, I'm thankful for that opportunity more than anything, like, to be able to be completely free creatively on that pro- on that project. And she, you know, welcomed us in, in her home and, you know, let let us make magic. So grateful. That's, that's my Brittany, grateful. Let's go with Virginia Beach. Home, regardless of what I dislike about my own town, I I hope I get the opportunity to create places where people can have an opportunity to develop their talent. You know, that's a big goal and big dream of mine to have a place in Virginia Beach where kids can go and develop and discover things about themselves that they... um. They might not know they have in them. Because I think what my parents did for me was put things in front of me to let me figure it out. You know, I used to scratch and draw. I used to, you know, they'd give me sketch pads, keyboards, whatever it was to help me, you know, basketball. Whatever it was to help me discover and develop my creativity, that's what they did for me. So I feel like that was the major difference is having someone to put things in front of you you know I, I want these place to I want these kids to come to a place where they can check in at the front grab a camera hmm. start snap maybe they love taking photos maybe they love taking videos and video they don't know so a lot of kids don't know so Virginia Beach is is a um is a gold mine it's it's a it's a mine where there are diamonds that needs to be chiseled chiseled away and I gotta like put a place out there for people to help figure that out for themselves yeah the last one I was gonna say was your father my father man I I, I mean both of my parents both of my parents my uh, they showed me an equal amount of love and attention and space and freedom and uh, I think I've 
if anything I can do is is make them proud or as proud as I possibly can um show you know be a respectable human being to reflect what they've you know put in me as a child so you know nothing but but love and uh gratitude and inspiration forever and the best example they are the best example of of anything of everything they are the best example even because they're still together in relationship and they're married and everything so from marriage to parenting to how to treat people to they are the best example of everything so i have them as my my example of how to be as a human being well thank you for doing this no problem um when uh when you describe how you would listen to Timberland, just how does he do that I, I know when, when I started writing for other people and I was starting to get these tracks and I was in a band and people were sending tracks and it was always, you know, trying to write a hit song, whatever that might be. Most of my stuff was just, just trash, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> but I just remember the biggest song was, was, you know, that Blackout album and having Give Me More. And I was out here in L.A. and I was just like, I don't know how this is done. <laughs> I don't have any idea. I mean, I'm a band guy trying to write songs, and I don't know how this is done. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that makes you a better musician is when you don't know how it's done. It's not a matter of it's not a business thing. It's not, oh, I want that success. Right. That has nothing to do mm-hmm. with it. It has to do with the actual, how does that song actually, in a compositional sense, work? Right. And just remember just studying that album and trying to be, trying to learn how to write a hit song the way that these people are writing hit songs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to sit here for me, having, you know, hearing you talk about being inspired by other people, Mm -hmm. and it's like, man, you were a big inspiration. So I appreciate you doing this. And uh, yeah, thanks, man. Excited to hear the next chapters, man. Yeah, man. It's going to be exciting. And yeah, we definitely need to we need to do this again. It's it's so much more to this story. Oh, I know, I know, and that's that's look. I promise you, as as we keep going, where where it's that's that's the idea is to just be able to keep revisiting. Yeah, revisiting. we gotta have we gonna have a part two for sure. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of And the Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed. Be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golden. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 